while the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know we're for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Hey, well, good morning. I am Joy Gonzalez, I'm the campus pastor here, and it's so good to see you this morning. As Courtney said, we are glad that you are here, that you braved a cold morning to show up here um, for worship. And today we're continuing this series, You in Five Years, which we started last week. And the main emphasis and question that we are asking is, where do you see yourself in five years? Rather, where do you want to be in five years? Now, um, since last week, I've received multiple text messages. Somebody screenshotted for me the calculations, their current calculations about how much social media time they currently spend, times 60 months, and said, this is about how much I'm averaging on social media right now. It was a little disheartening, so <laughs> so we, they're going to change that a little bit. Um, so I've started calculating my life out in 60 months. Um, I don't know if you have since last week, but that's the whole goal. And, and here's why we think 60 months, rather than in January, simply looking at New Year's resolutions in 12 months, um, will make a bigger impact. Because oftentimes, many of us, we overestimate what we can do in the short term. So we cram all of the life transformation we need to happen into 12 months. And then we end up falling short when we can't quite get there because we overestimate. And then we underestimate what we can do in the long term if we would just stick with something. So that's the heart of this series is saying, no, the change we want to see in our life, the people that we want to become, we believe God's calling us to become, takes more work than just 12 months. And it actually gives us a better chance of getting to that spot if we think with the end in mind, with this long-term focus. So my question to you today is if you stay on the same like progression, the same track that you're currently on now, where will you be in five years? You do nothing different. You stay completely the same. Where will it get you in five years? The second question is, is that where you want to be? Because here's the deal. If you decide that where you're going, what you're doing is right now is not going to get you to where you want to be. The good news is you have all the power to change it, to decide today, to decide this month, to decide over this next 60 months that you're going to do something different to end up somewhere else. Here's the catch with change. Change is hard, right? How many people... Um, just quick poll. You came up with a New Year's resolution. Okay, there's a couple of you. Um, how many have already dropped that New Year's resolution? Okay, this is the week. Did you know this is like the magic week in January? Statistically, you can look this up. When people start dropping off those New Year's resolutions that just two weeks prior they were super excited about. 
Because what? Change is really hard for us. Change is super hard. The frustrating thing with change being hard is we can all identify what in our life needs to change. And if I ask you right now, what do you need to change in your life? What would it be? Chances are you could think of something like super quick because most of us can. We know ourselves well. It's, it's the problem of getting to that change, making that change happen. How do we do it? To add a little bit of insult to injury, most of us are actually capable of change. And, and I know this, you know this, because whenever there's a crisis in our life, we, we're often forced to change. And so crises kind of act in our lives as these events that, that make us change, that force us to change, whether we're ready for it or not, whether we really want it or not. But they show us that when we have to, when we need to, we can indeed change. So if we know what needs to change, we're capable of change how do we actually get there? Because I don't think it's a good enough strategy to bank on an external crisis coming up in our lives. I mean, I've read the stories of mothers who, because of adrenaline, if their kid is stuck under their car, will pick up the car and lift it up. They will like overcome this external crisis and change in that moment to save their kid. But I'm not going to stage that every week with my kids when I need to do my workout routine. You know, like we're not going to count on or stage external crises or crises. So if you are a note-taking type of person, today's title is this, In the Absence of Crisis. In the absence of crisis, in the absence of something forcing you to change, how do you do the work to change? There's this incredible story in the Bible about a man named Elisha. Elisha. And it's found in 1 Kings. So I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles to so go ahead and grab those, your Bible apps. You can turn to 1 Kings. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to put it on the screen in a second. And we actually, we have Bibles in that back welcome table. If you don't have a Bible, but you would like to dig in more, feel free to take one of these. But 1 Kings is in the Old Testament, so it's in the first half of the book. And it's like in the first half of the first half. So it's about right here in your Bibles. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, we find the story of this man named Elisha. Now here's what's going on in the verses leading up to this moment we're going to read. Elisha, just any normal dude in ancient Israel, you know, just doing his thing, being who he is, just going about his current path. And then this man named Elijah, yeah, we've got Elisha and Elijah. That is a confusing story. And, but these two guys, Elijah comes along and interrupts Elisha's life. Now, Elijah is this prophet in ancient Israel. In, in the ancient Jewish culture, there were kings and leaders of the country like we have today. But there were also men and women that were called by God to be prophets. And their kind of sole job in this world and at this time was calling 
out truth to power, basically. Calling out people in their society, calling out the leaders of that time, um, and getting them, spurring them on to following God, especially in seasons and times when the community wasn't. So Elijah is one of these great prophets who his job is calling the people of God, the people of ancient Israel, to continue in the way of following Jesus, especially when they're getting off track, which they often did. And so Elijah comes along, and this is what he says to Elisha. Let's pick up his story. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Okay. Now I did not hear any audible gasp in the room. Nobody went, but you should have. Because we've learned two really, really big pieces of information about both Elijah and Elisha. Okay, we have just learned, the 12 yoke of oxen, that Elisha is incredibly wealthy. See, in an agricultural society of that day, to have one yoke of oxen would have been a big deal. It would have meant he was a person of means. But to have 12 yoke of oxen means this guy's like a pretty big deal. He is probably like the heir of Shaphat Farm, you know, like Shaphat Enterprises, Elisha next in command. I mean, today that might be like having 12 large John Deere tractor trailers or some sort of um, big farming equipment. And imagine what kind of land holdings you have to have to have that much equipment, that much expensive equipment. So this guy is the son of the man running probably the agricultural enterprise of his whole country and even the countries around him at this time. So he's a big deal. But then Elijah, this prophet, comes along and he throws his cloak or his jacket on Elisha. And again, that's the second part we would have gasped at. If we were the first people hearing this story, we would have been like, oh, No, no, he didn't. Because Elijah is basically going up to Elisha. He's giving him a lightsaber, and he's inviting him to the Dagobah system for training. He's like, okay, you are now the leader of the Jedi. Like, he is, that is a symbolic gesture in ancient Israel to say, I am recognizing you as the one God has called to replace me as the premier prophet in Israel, to keep the people following God. So Elisha, this big deal in industry and market at that time is all of the sudden called into this new path. And it's, it, it's totally different than what he imagined. And this is what he does. It says, then Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. And then he asked him, what have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and gave it to the people around, and they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah. So Elisha has just been interrupted in his life. 
called by God into this new pathway that's not only going to change the next five years of his life, but it's going to change the rest of his life. And Elisha goes after him. Can you imagine what he is giving up? He is giving up the surety of security, wealth, of being somebody to follow this new call on his life that he believes is going to be much better than he could have ever imagined. But that's a huge deal to just walk away from it. And I love Elijah asking him, what have I done to you? Or what have I asked you? He's testing Elisha to see if Elisha really understands what is happening. And what does Elisha do? I love this. He's so bold. He's not like, yeah, yeah, I get it. He's like, no, no, let me show you I get it. He burns his entire livelihood. He makes it so that he can never go back to what he was doing before. He says, not only do I get the call that God has given me, but I'm going to chase it down so much and leave no other options behind me because I am in. Man, that is bold. That is not a New Year's resolution. That is a all-up life change. And he goes after it. And then Elisha's story, it goes on. So he goes and he follows Elijah. And here's the next thing we're told about Elisha's life after he makes this dramatic move. 18 years go by. Not five months, not just five years. 18 years go by. And the only information in scripture we get of Elisha is that in that 18 years, he poured water on the hands of Elijah. Woo! Talk about an unpaid internship right there, man. He for 18 years accepted this big call of God on his life to follow the prophet Elijah. This is amazing. He's going to follow in Elijah's footsteps, and he is the hand sanitizer guy for 18 years. I mean, basically, Elijah's like, okay, I'm going to go minister. The meet and greet happens, and then Elisha comes over, and he's like, Yeah, like that's what he does. 18 years is all we are told, the details of his life. And can you imagine how many times he thought, why did I say yes to this? Surely I made a mistake, God. Come on. 18 years and I am getting hand sanitizer for the dude. No way. But Elisha continues on. He knows the call of God in his life is bigger than what he sees in the moment, and he keeps on going. The kind of third movement of Elisha's story that I want to wrap up on is what we see at the end of Elijah's life. Elijah knows that his time is coming soon, that God is going to take him, and that Elisha is going to step into his authority. And so this is what we read next. Is that Elijah and Elijah have this interaction. I'm going to see if I, there we go. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. When they had crossed the Jordan River, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Elisha's basically saying, okay, If you want to know what I can do for you, I'm going to carry on in your footsteps. 
but I want to do double the miracles. <laughs> I want to have double the impact in the world that you had. That's basically what Elisha is saying. Most of us would be a little caught off guard if someone says, I want to do what you did and then double that. But that's what Elisha asked for. And Elijah responds, you have asked a hard thing yet. If you see me as I'm being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, Elijah, he grieved. But then he picked up the mantle. Remember that cloak that Elijah threw on him? He picks it up. And when the company of all of the prophets who were at Jericho saw Elisha coming back from this experience, they all declared the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. There are these three movements in this story that I think really mirror how we make the change we need to make in our life. And it's a little bit of a strange story. Some of y'all are like, that's why I don't read the Bible. There was like fire in there and whirlwinds and I think horses in the air. I, I remember reaching a place where I was like, this is just too weird to not be true, you know. Um, but in this story, Elisha, he follows Elijah in God when it seems impossible, when it seems even like the dumb thing to do, but he knows the vision God's given him for his life. And he doesn't have this external crisis, but one of the first things that Elisha does is he takes this sort of drastic action, and he almost, um, he almost creates this internal crisis in himself because he realizes that it would be hard to follow Elijah, it would be hard to change, but it would be harder for him to stay the same. I, I, I like what Tony Robbins says. He says this when he talks about the pain of change. He says, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And I think that that's the first thing that happens in Elisha's life is he looks at his life and he says, I have it all made, but there's more. God's calling me to more in my life. And if I stay the same today, what am I missing out on tomorrow? What am I missing out on becoming if I don't pay the cost today? Because the truth is for you and I, it always feels more expensive today. The cost always feels higher. It always feel, feels harder to change today. But Elisha realizes, no, it's actually harder for me to stay the same it is costs me more in the long term if I don't change now. And so he creates almost this internal crisis within himself, and he takes this drastic action. Friends, we got to do the same thing. When it comes to us changing our life, it's hard to do, but what will it be harder then? What in your life needs to change that if it doesn't change in the long term, it will cost you more? I realized um, last week and I was calculating how old will I be in five years that I will be in five years the age at which most of my aunts and uncles on my dad's side all had their first heart attack. In five years, I'll be as old as all of my aunts and uncles on my dad's side who had their first major heart attack. Heart disease runs in my family. It's taken the lives of multiple people 
on that side of the family. And that got me thinking, am I living healthy? Am I changing today even though it's hard? So in five years, that won't be me? What is it for you? Maybe it's that, being healthy today so that you can live healthier and longer. Or maybe for you it's a relationship that you have and you know today you don't want to break it off because it's good now, but you know it may not be the right relationship. That you're already seeing signs that you're like, if this continues, it's not going to be good, but I don't want to break it off. What drastic action do you need to change today that benefits you in the future? That's the first thing Elisha does. This, and he does something that the principle of inertia teaches us. You remember Sir Isaac Newton from middle school, high school? He came up with the laws of motion and gravity. And in his laws of motion, the first principle is inertia. And what is that? That an object at rest stays at rest unless it is acted upon by an external force. In other words, you and I will stay the same unless, like Elisha, we take a drastic action unless we choose to change and take the first step towards it. The next thing Elisha does is we see that steady progression. Remember that 18 years of shh, 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 hand sanitizer, sir? Day after day after day, he is faithful, doing what he's called to do. Even when it is not, it, it is not sexy, it is not trendy, it is not cool. Elisha's like, here I am, I'm the hand sanitizer guy. But he consistently does it. He doesn't give up because it's mundane. And that's the same for you and I. We've got to keep on going. What can you be consistent in? What small action can you take that will become something bigger later on, like that compound interest we talked about last week. Remember, we talked about that domino chain reaction, and it takes that first domino, a drastic action to knock it down, but the whole, every domino after that is a steady progression of being knocked down. That's what Elisha does in his life. So what are the small steps for you taken over a period of time that will build into something bigger and greater? Now, I have a few suggestions for you in picking your small steps because every step is not created equally. And Elisha knows that. He knows that not only is victory not one huge thing, it's a small thing repeated continually. It's the small right thing repeated continually in his life. So it is for you and I, we got to choose wisely. What are the small steps for you? And what are the right small steps? Experts that talk about goals and habit setting, they call that keystone habits. You can look it up. There's books written on this, blogs, articles. And a keystone habit is something in your life that when you do that one thing, however small it is, it has cascading effects into other areas of your life. One really evident one is exercise. If you get up and exercise, most of us have felt the cascading benefits of that. It impacts then what we choose to eat because we don't want to waste all that work we did in the morning, so we eat healthier. We feel better. It helps regulate our sleep. So it's a keystone habit that when we do that, impacts other areas of our lives. Making your bed is, is one of those two. Did you know making your bed is correlated to how much credit card debt you have and your credit card spending habits? It's a keystone habit. 
So what is it for you that when you do that one thing, that one small thing impacts other areas of your life for the positive and do that? Second, whatever that is, spell it out specifically. No, no fuzziness, like I'm going to eat healthy. Great. Healthy compared to who? What does healthy look like for you? Spell it out or say, you know, I'm not going to be texting on my phone while I drive because I want to be safe. Well, what about the 50,000 other apps on your phone while you're driving you can scroll on? If the goal is driving safe and not getting distracted on the road, a better better goal is I'm going to put my phone down while I drive. So spell it out specifically. Three, track it diligently. If you're just doing the habit but you're not tracking it, keeping score, what are you doing? You're just practicing. One of the biggest things as we get in the weeds, which is really what steady progression is, is we, we can s- deceive ourselves. How easy it for, is it for you and I to say, you know, today felt like a productive day. Then you look back at your calendar and you're like, oh, God, I did nothing but sit on Netflix all day. might have felt good, but it wasn't good. So track it diligently. Keep up with it. And then finally, we see this with Elisha. He guards it aggressively. Because once you have a step, a goal, a habit that is getting you to where you want to be in five years and beyond, there are so many things happening in life, it is easy to get off track. And the minute that you do more than once, the momentum begins to be taken away. Actually, experts that look at habits and goal setting, they say that you're going to miss meeting a goal definitely once. But the goal is to not miss it once, but not to miss it twice. Because once you miss it twice, you're prone to miss it three times. And then what you lose is not just that day's gains from doing that habit, but you lose the cumulative effects, the momentum you've built from the days before. So you got to guard it aggressively. I want to show you a little illustration of this steady progression. And you all should have a piece of paper under your chair. So if you would grab that piece of paper. Okay, I want you to do what I do. Illustrate some compound interest. So fold it once. Now you technically have kind of two pieces, two layers of paper. Because one and one, two. Now fold it again. Two plus two, four layers of paper. Fold it again. Four plus four is what? Eight. Okay. Eight. So you've got eight thickness here. Fold it again. What do you got? Eight plus eight. Okay. Gosh, you guys were like good students in school, weren't you? I'm up here like having to do math in my head. Okay. So you've got 16. Fold it one more time if you can. 16 plus 16 is what? Okay. So some of y'all said the wrong answer. That's okay. <laughs> we love you anyway. It is 32. I never said that. Okay. What was that? Four folds, five folds? Okay. I can maybe go one more time. Can anyone go another fold after that? I can't. That's about where, about five folds, five, six folds is my limit. 
Did you know if you could keep folding this in on itself, by the time you reach the 10th fold, it would be, this papers would be as thick as your hand. Now, if you could keep on going and you could get to 30 folds, you would reach space. You, it would be as thick as the length from right here, this distance, to space. If you continued folding it and you could get to 40, you would be to the moon. It would be that thick. And if you got to 50 folds, if you could keep on going, you would be to the length of the sun. Okay, this is what's really crazy. If you could fold all these pieces of paper 102 times, you would reach the limits of the like knowable universe now, which is I think like 193 billion light years away. Folding this, that's how thick it would be. Steady progression in our life works like that. It builds upon each little action, doubles in on itself, and then doubles in on itself. And then you've got this beautiful thing called compound interest, and you have taken little steps, and they have become much. Steady progression. And that finally, in Elisha's, he's done that. He's been faithful because he knows it's worth it when it's hard. And he achieves this. And it's the final movement for you and I. Elisha achieves momentum. Is that when we're willing to take drastic action and switch course for our future, when we're willing to do the work to lead towards steady progression over time, knowing it pays off and little becomes a lot, then we've got momentum working for us. At the end of that story, the prophets look at Elisha and they see that he has the spirit of Elijah. They see what he asked for, a double portion is what he got, and they can see it all over him. Because that's the other part of inertia, isn't it? Not only does an object at rest stay at rest until acted upon, but the flip side of that is that an object in motion stays in motion until it's acted upon by an external force. So what we get to do is then enjoy momentum. Friends, as you're thinking about you and five years and asking the question today, if I am going on this path for five more years, is it taking me where I want to be? And if it's not, if change is necessary in your life, are you willing to take the drastic action? Are you willing to stage that sort of internal crisis of perspective and then do the work. Elisha's life shows us that when we do, we see the benefits and it's worth it. It is so much more worth it than we can even imagine today when we continue going and we seek after what God has for us and not just what we're dealt with today. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for what you have done in our lives, God. We thank you that just in looking practically at scripture and how you moved in Elisha's life, that we can see principles that work in our lives today. God, we know, oftentimes, God, we feel within us, God, that we are called to so much more. God, for many of us, we see and sense 
that something in us needs to change, but it is hard to do the work. It is hard to change. God, would you stir in us today the passion, the energy to take the action necessary to become who you're calling us to be? Would you show us like Elisha that it doesn't just impact who we are, but it impacts the world around us. God, when we follow your vision for our life and not just keep going because it's easy to do day after day. God, we give you thanks and praise and we give our lives to you. Help us to have imagination and dream bigger for what we can be and do with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.